Let's welcome Mr. Reiner one more time. So glad you're here, my brother. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. No matter what. That's usually where I lose people, right? It's, it's easy to say God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. The no matter what piece is a little more challenging for us. But it's an honor and privilege to be here tonight with you. I'm glad um, to have the opportunity to share God's word with you this evening. In 2007, when my wife Terry and I gave our lives to Christ, when we said, hey, we're going to follow Jesus from this point forward, I couldn't have imagined, we couldn't have imagined really the journey that God would have us on over the last 16 years, which that seems crazy. Um, and I certainly couldn't have imagined ever standing in this particular church, let alone on a Saturday night, delivering a word from the Lord. You see, I used to live just around the bend on Dent Street. And back in 1995, I had this incredible Jesus encounter. I was coming off a 30-day alcohol, drug-fueled binge. And I woke up, and I felt bad. I'd been hugging the porcelain God for about three or four days, promising to God if he let me live that I'd never, ever do this again. It was a promise I'd made a million times before. But as I'm thinking about the beer that's in the fridge that I thought, you know, I really need, um, God interrupted me. He interceded. And since that moment, I've been clean and sober. So almost 28 years ago, um, just praise God, right? Just uh, So when you, we talk about God's goodness, to me that means something particular and special. And I think when you think about God's goodness, it means something particular to you. You can envision a moment and a time when you um, had experienced God's goodness. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Habakkuk. You'll find him in the Old Testament. That's before the New Testament. If you want to scroll there in your real Bible, your handheld Bible, if you want to scroll there digitally, you can. I've been spending quite a bit of time with Habakkuk. And I've learned quite a bit about him, even though we, we really don't know much about him. We don't know where he came from. We don't know who his parents are. We do know because it says so in Scripture that he was a prophet. 
The writer of Hebrews in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 1 says that long ago God spoke many times and in many ways through our ancestors and through the prophets. And he spoke to Habakkuk as well and through Habakkuk. And tonight we're going to look at something a little different because Habakkuk was different than a lot of prophets that are mentioned in the Bible. Typically, prophets in the Bible take a word from God to the people. And in this case, as we'll see tonight, Habakkuk had a few words to share with God. And we're going to see a prophet who is frustrated, he's despondent, He's distraught, and we'll see him cry out to God. But before we do that, let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for bringing us into your house tonight. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord and have the opportunity to worship together. We thank you for those that are here. We thank you for those that are far away. Lord, we we pray for those teen moms, those 112 babies. We just pray that they would experience your goodness and come to know you. We thank you for those that are serving them. We just pray for them as well. We just pray for each and every person in this building tonight. Lord, just help me move out of the way Help me be a vessel. Please, Lord, speak through me as we spend some time in your word tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We see that Habakkuk in verse 2 cries out to God. And he starts with this tirade, if you would. This plea. Because everything around him is going wrong. People are doing what they feel is right in their own eyes. They are worshiping idols. They've strayed from the Lord. Habakkuk is preaching in a time where Jehoiakim is the king. Jehoiakim is the son of Josiah. Josiah turned his people back to God. He pointed them back to their Lord. Jehoiakim, on the other hand, says, yeah, we're not doing that. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to rest in our own strength. We're going to rely on ourselves. And we're going to do what pleases us. It was a time that was filled with wickedness, evil, and violence. I did mention it was 600 years before Christ, not 2023, right? So 600 years before Christ, 
We have a prophet who is distraught by what he sees. And he sees a people who are chosen by God want nothing to do with God. Habakkuk, interestingly enough, if you like names, like my name Reiner means wise warrior, which is interesting because the only wisdom I've gained is really by making a lot of mistakes. That's how I've gotten to have any ounce of wisdom. If you, if you like names, a name like Adam formed from the earth, right? And, you know, I'm kind of jealous of Adam. He has like the first name. Right? Like in VBS back in the day, he was the first Adam, right? He was like the first kid. He was the first one named. You know, if you think about other names in Scripture, when you think about Jason, here's a, here's a great name. The Lord is salvation. Right? Think about Jacob, supplanter. You think about his brother Esau, Harry. Right? When you think about Toby, God is good. So names have meanings, particularly in, in Scripture. And we know that in biblical times, names often spoke of a person's character or characteristics. Habakkuk means cling or embrace. We see Habakkuk cry out, and he says... How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. Again, it's 600 B.C., not 2023. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. He cries out to God. And God responds. Much like 28 years ago when I'm crying out to God, God responded, and he responded in a way to Habakkuk that Habakkuk didn't expect. Have you ever been in that situation where you've cried out to God and said, God, I need your help? And God answers. But he doesn't answer in a way that A, you're expecting, and B, that you're wanting. <laughs> right? It's, I'm often grateful for the prayers that God didn't answer in my life. And I feel like Habakkuk kind of felt like, oh, never mind, I shouldn't have asked you. Because here's how the Lord responds. The Lord responds, he says, look around at the nations, look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. And they are notorious for their cruelty. They used to use fishing nets to capture 
crowds of fleeing people. And they would torment them. They would also take fish hooks and insert them, push them in their captives' lips, and then hang them from those fish hooks in the town square. This is God's response. God is saying to Habakkuk, yes, I hear you, I got you, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to bring the Babylonians down. to discipline you and to remind you that I'm God. God is good all the time, no matter what. It's a difficult message to swallow. Habakkuk thinks, man, Lord, surely not. He's crushed. I imagine he's lost, right? Because he loves the people of Judah, and he loves God. But he doesn't like God's answer. And he says, O Lord my God, chapter 1, verse 12, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. You notice that even in his complaint, Habakkuk remains reverent. He recognizes God's holiness. says, O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure, and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people that are more righteous than they? It's an interesting thing, right, when you think about comparison. I'm a sinner, but I'm not nearly the sinner that you are, right? These people are sinful, but the people you're choosing to correct us with, they're way worse than we are. Surely you're not planning to use them to punish us. I mean, we're bad, but we're not that bad. You know, it's that time in the sermon when you nudge the person next to you and say, I I hope you're paying attention because this applies to you, honey, right? I don't recommend doing that, by the way. I don't know if we have marriage counseling right after service, do we? So, but we see this, this plea that a distraught Habakkuk makes as he cries to God, He doesn't understand what's happening. He doesn't like God's response. Yet, he remembers that God is good. And so, he cries to God, and then we see him cling to God. 
We see him cling to God. Martin Luther King Jr. had an interesting quote. He says, When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, and when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. You know, it's easy for us to focus on darkness, right? In that, that moment when we're troubled and we don't know what to do, when we're distraught, we can focus on what's wrong, what's troubling us. We focus on that darkness. It's easy for us, really, at least for me, to get caught up in the negative and miss God altogether. I get so caught up in what's wrong with the world that I don't see God working. And God is working all around us all the time. Amen? We, we know that God is good. We know that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful, that he loves us. Even when our lives aren't going the way that we want them to or we had planned. Do you need a brighter tomorrow? Do you need God to deliver you from darkness, from a hurt, from a pain? Habakkuk tells the Lord in verse 17, says, will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed in their heartless conquests? And he, he responds, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. There's a novel idea. Wait on the Lord to see what he does. Is that difficult for you? It's difficult for me. My, my lips say, God, you're sovereign and you're in control. And Lord, your will be done, not mine. And then I kind of help him out with what that should look like right? I start to drive and I start to decide that, hey, Lord, you know, it seems to be taking you a minute, so let me go ahead and give you a, a nudge or a head start. And then I decide what God's will is. The Lord replies in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, 
Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. The vision is for a future time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Remember, Habakkuk's living 600 years before Jesus, so before the cross. We're living some 2,000 years after Habakkuk was looking for a Messiah to come to redeem his people. We're waiting on Jesus to return, to call us home, to bring us to a time where there is no more sorrow, there is no more darkness. The Lord delivers Five woes, because he's telling Habakkuk, hey, look, I know this is, this is challenging for you to understand how I can use evil for good. But he's trying to get Habakkuk to grasp, hey, I'm the Lord, I can use every bit of everything for my will and for my purpose and for my plan. And he's using these Babylonians to lovingly disciple, discipline his people. But he says to Habakkuk, rest assured, judgment is coming and justice is coming with it. He says, these five woes, he says, what sorrow awaits you thieves, now you will get what you deserve. You've become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? What sorrow, in verse 9, awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security, putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. What sorrow awaits you who build cities with money gained through murder and corruption? What sorrow awaits you who make your neighbors drunk? You force your cup on them so you can gloat over their shameful nakedness. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, wake up and save us, to speechless stone images, you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. They're lifeless inside. What idols do you worship today? And an idol is anything that you really desire more and give more time to than God. Odds are, for a lot of you as it is for me, it fits in my pocket. Right? Something that can do a lot of good can also distract and take our eyes off of God. I'm too busy checking my social media. I don't have time to spend time with God in prayer or the Word. I'm busy. I got to see what Roland's doing on Instagram, right? John's got a concert coming up. 
I got I to gotta keep up where he's playing next. I'm busy. Scroll, scroll, scroll. And there's nothing wrong with technology. Technology does a lot of great things. There's nothing wrong with phones and smartphones. There's nothing wrong with TV. There's nothing wrong with movies. There's nothing wrong with books. You can actually watch a movie as a Christian that's not a, non, that's not a Christian movie. It's okay. You can read a book that's not written by a Christian author. You can read something other than the Bible. It's okay. Just don't make it your priority. Keep the main thing the main thing. So we see Habakkuk cling to God, right? He's clinging to God. He cries out to God. He clings to God. We can cry out to God. We can cling to God. He clings to God because he knows God is trustworthy, and he's faithful, and he's good. In the middle of this dark time, what does Habakkuk do? How does he respond? He responds like we all should, with worship. Right In chapter 3, Habakkuk confidently worships God. It's one thing to worship God when everything is good in your life. But do you remember back in 2021 when you couldn't gather and you couldn't worship? What did that look like? Right? And there are people still... That haven't returned to church. We live in a time where there's more divisiveness than I think there's ever been other than the Civil War. It's dark. We live in a time where we disagree and we're done, we're finished. We can't have a relationship. We live in a time where we're told that what God calls sin is perfectly okay. As if we determine what's holy and righteous and good. As if we're the standard bearers of goodness. In this dark time, how does Habakkuk respond? He responds with confidence, and he worships God. He says in chapter 3, I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled. We sang about this earlier. How great. How great. Right? How great is God. I've heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works in this time of your deep need. Help us again as you did in years gone by and in your anger. Remember your mercy. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. And he says in verse 16, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. 
There it is again. I'll wait. I will worship. I will worship. I will worship. And I will wait. I will wait. And even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the, own, the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. He makes me sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. We think about Habakkuk, and we think about how He cries out to God. He clings to God. Even though he doesn't understand what's happening in the world around him. My guess is it's something that you can relate to because there are things happening in your world personally and then there are things that are happening in your world broadly, globally, that you don't understand. There are things happening in the world that you don't agree with and you think... As Terry likes to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Like, if you came right now, Jesus, it wouldn't be a minute too soon. The late Tim Keller pointed a lot of people to the cross and he points people to Jesus. We had talked a little earlier about names and we think about all the beautiful ways um, our names describe things about us. But we all trust in the greatest name, right? We're in a church service. We're worshiping. You can't be in church and worship and not talk about Jesus, the greatest name of all. And Tim Keller talks about how in his darkest moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows what's coming, right? He, he knows he's going to be nailed to a cross. He knows that God the Father's wrath is going to be poured out on him. And he didn't abandon us. He didn't abandon us then. In his darkest moment, what makes us think that he would abandon us now? There is no other name 
other than the name of Jesus, that God has given under the heavens by which we must be saved. We can trust God because he is faithful. God is good all the time. No matter what. So just ask Adam and the worship team, all 20 of them tonight, right, to come forward. We're going to spend some time in song and in worship and in prayer. And then we're going to transition into communion. Let me pray for us. I'm going to pray long enough for them to get plugged in. Father God, we thank you for loving us so much so that you willingly gave your son so that no one would have to perish but all who place their faith and trust in him can experience eternal life. We thank you, Lord, because you're a good God who loves us. And you demonstrated that love to us even while we were yet sinners. We thank you because we can cry out to you, Lord. We thank you because we can cling to you. We thank you, God, because you are good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Go into the world with assurance, hope, and promise. Cry to God for help. Cling to God in help. Be confident that the God who raised Jesus from the dead is with you and within you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ rest upon you. May the love of God, creator and giver of life, embrace you. And may the transforming power of the Holy Spirit uphold you now and each step this week. Go in peace.